Well, a very warm welcome to you and we're back once more. It is We Welcome Your Teams, a podcast about one of the most unique jobs in sport, football stadium announcers. He said, although Billy was proposing to the love of his life through his jewellery, Billy's wife has been on to me this morning and isn't very happy. I'm dying to be immortalised in FIFA. He was like, read his name out then as if he's coming on as a substitute. Oh yeah, it is you. So I've gone absolutely massive for this announcement and then to see it get chalked off by VAR. And the police said, stop this now. The roof of the North Bank was swaying. He said, it's not just getting beat, but they played Captain Bloody Pugwash as well. <laughs> uh, here we are then, yep, it's the podcast all about the people who stand on the sidelines, clipboard in one hand, a microphone in the other, and address the crowd at every game. Uh, my name's Rich Hurst, for the last few years I've been announcer at the Hawthorns at West Bromwich Albion, and you know what, for your average football fan, we get a unique kind of access to your beloved clubs, and we've certainly got a few stories to tell from what we've seen as well. So have you ever noticed those people who announced the goal scorers and the added minutes and wondered how they get that job? And you want to know what it feels like when it all goes wrong in front of thousands of people? You're in the right place. We are just about ready to start another episode. So just before we do, I'm off to do what any good stadium announcer does and check that I still get paid even if a fan's protest gets the game called off. It is, one, it is one for the contract, that, isn't it? I will check that. Very warm welcome to you and welcome to episode 10 of series two. And just as we did at the end of the last series, we're going out with a bang t- tonight as we celebrate one of the longest serving announcers in the UK. Peter Gillam has been the announcer at Brentford for over 50 years in that time. He has seen some mighty events and said farewell to the old Griffin Park. And of course, welcome the team to the new Brentford Community Stadium as well. Peter, delighted to have you with us. How are you? Very well. I'm really good to be talking to you this evening. And alongside him, of course, uh, the man who was sent home from work at the weekend. None of his fault, obviously, but since the Man United game against Liverpool was postponed, it must have been odd turning up all dressed with uh, nowhere to go, Alan. Yeah, it certainly was. Uh, can I just say good evening to Peter, by the way? He is a legend within us uh, stadium announcers. So, Peter, it's a pleasure to welcome you onto the podcast. And good talking to you, Alan, as well. Thank you. Um, yeah, it certainly was an experience I've never had before, Rich, because um, obviously the, the kickoff was 4.30. I was probably at Old Trafford at around 5 to 2 because obviously we were aware that the um, the protest was going to be organised and that was set up for 2 o'clock at the front of the stadium. I go in sort of through the, the back entrance where the coaches come in uh, with the players. Anyway, as I arrived... This, this was just around two o'clock. Some of the fans had decided to go to that gate and it was closed. So the security sort of waved me on up the road. And anyway, Gary Neville then drives past and he lets on and he pulls up and he says to me, um, they're letting us in now, Alan. We go into the first part of the security, which I'm sure you've seen it at your stadiums. You have to get your, your sort of temperature checked. So go through yeah. the first part of that. You get an ID wristband on and then... You go to the next section at Old Trafford where you get your second lot of uh, temperatures taken. And that's the point where we refused entry. And unfortunately, we were waiting in this sort of designated area on the sort of perimeter of Old Trafford Stadium. We were stood there for about two hours and couldn't get in. 
and weren't and indeed weren't let in because the game then got cancelled at 5.35, as we all know. A lot of standing around with nothing else to do. Peter, here he goes uh, for the first question of, uh, of, of, of the chat. Uh, ever, ever got to a game and then had no game to do? No, to be honest, no, not as an announcer. Obviously, plenty of games as a supporter or a few games as a supporter, but never as an announcer, no. So, uh, yeah, it was incredible, wasn't it, the whole situation? Crazy. It really was. Crazy. Well, look, we, we want to get on to, to you and your stories from your time at Brentford. Um, it's now 51 years, 52 years and counting in the job? Yeah, I'll be this, I'm just finishing my 52nd year. So yeah, t- t- started October '69. How how did it all start for you then? How did you end up getting the job? Well, it was, in fairness, a couple of years before that in '67, uh, there was a lot of talk about we can be taken over by our neighbours in Shepherd's Bush, and uh, so there was a big campaign going on, and I got involved with a campaign called "I'm Back in Brentford," uh, and we were so therefore I started getting close to the club, and funny enough, my very first. Real contact. I started watching them in 1954, but in 66, I wrote to our secretary at the time, Dennis Pickett, before Christmas, because I wanted to go to a game at Hartlepool on Boxing Day. And in those days, you know, no motorways, how are we going to get there? And amazingly, I wrote to the club and Dennis came back and said I could go and I would travel with the team. So at four o'clock that Christmas day afternoon, I met the coach. We stayed at Doncaster overnight and then on to Hartlepool on Boxing Day. So that's when I my first contact with the club. And then I so we had the time back in Brentford campaign. Uh, and then I got close to some other people. And then a guy called George Goodsir, who'd been running what is called Big B Radio since 67. Um, he asked me, he was getting involved with a lot of other things, if I could actually get involved and start in going on the microphone and taking over from him. Yeah. And then October 69 was my first game. What, um, what was your view of the role at that time? What, what, what did you think of that role of being the person on the mic? Oh, obviously, I was well, I was young. I was about 20 then. Funny enough, or 22, I suppose. Uh, do you know, I, I'm one of these stupid people. I, I like making an idiot of myself. I used to, as a young child, when I was, I don't know, six or seven, to go to the local park and on a Saturday afternoon, just, just prior to going to, you know, before I was going to football. I would go to a place called Walpole Park and there'd be a entertainers on the there'd be a stage and a magician and different things and they'd want volunteers and I would be the first one who'd want to run up on the stage and make a fool of myself. <laughs> so the chance of having a microphone in my hand to be able to make a fool of myself over a microphone was fantastic. And the fact that I could actually do something for my club was even better. You know, so I've been supporting the club for 15 years now, come 69. So to be able to actually be involved with the club and talk on behalf of the club it was very special and it is still very special. And what was your first game like? What do you remember your first first proper league game? Uh, very little. I mean, I, I know we won 3-0. We played Scunthorpe. Um, but I know very little about it apart from uh, somebody who I then shared a flat with um, for a few months, a guy called Ollie Mansley, who we bought with Skelmersdale. scored two goals in that game. He sadly passed away a few years ago. Um but that's the only thing I remember about it. I know Ollie scored, but don't ask me to talk through the goals. I couldn't even tell you. I suppose I was so overcome by the fact I had a microphone in my hand. And, and what was your what was the setup? Where did you sit and do all the announcing from? It was the, it was the back of the stand. We got a, we had a little box, if you like. Um, if you stayed in the box, you wouldn't see much of the pitch. So we'd sort of sit outside the box and um, 
watch the game from there. But that's all it was. It was one, a box. Two people could get in the box. It was very, very tight if two people were in there. So the guy with the music would be putting that on and little cassette tapes and whatever they were in those days. And I would sort of be out. I would go into the box sometimes and then sort of, but mainly just be outside that box and watch the game from there. It's um, it, it's something we've ga- we've gathered over the over the last couple of seasons talking to different guys about where they are for the game and you know where they used to sit, where they do sit now, where they roam now. So obviously, people like me and Alan, we're we're pitch side. We're pretty much by the dugout. You know, we've got a cracking <clears throat> view. But I remember being when I started at Portsmouth, we were in, uh, it was it was a concrete box underneath the floodlight in the corner by the Milton end with a tiny window, a tiny window indoors and, and five or six people, some of them running the ad boards, some of them running the uh, other uh, security bits and all of us trying to fight and peer out of this tiny little window to watch the game. Uh, And it's just, Oh, I don't know how, I honestly don't know how we pulled it off doing it. No, I I understand. It was early days. I mean, certainly for a few years now, I've been down on pitch side and likewise, you say next to the dugouts, etc. But um, it was pretty primitive in those days. Love it. Down by the dugouts, the only place to be, isn't it, Alan? Totally. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, um, in the early days, there was a a couple of matches where I communicate with um, a girl, a lady called Marie. Woody is her nickname and she sort of will look after the music side of things. And if there's a, a safety announcement, then Marie, she actually works for the club during the week. She would come in and do that announcement, you know, like blah, blah, blah. You know, you hear it all the time, you know, can such and such contact your nearest steward, etc. Um, And I tried a couple of it, a couple of those in the early days from the PA box, as they say. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing like being right next to where all the, you know, the actions happening with the yeah. with the benches and the dugouts, yeah. you, the, the experience is indescribable. It's just amazing. And you get, I had to say, also you get the information. I remember when I was sitting in the stand and in, back at Griffin Park, I was sitting at the back on, during the sorry prior to the game. I'd be pitch side. Then during the game, I'd be at the back of the stand. I had a sort of small table there, and I'd watch them there make announcements. Trouble is, the dugouts were on the far side of the ground. So when they made yeah. substitution to try and read the board, if the sun was out, you couldn't make out. It was just an absolute nightmare. And there was nobody there to tell me. So it was down to myself and maybe my wife was sitting next to me to try and peer across the other side. The beauty, obviously, being next to the dugouts now yeah. is, you know, you actually know what's happening. You know how much time they go add on. You know, you're, you've got your hands on, all, you know, all the important information. Yeah, very true. Is that kind of when the times when you start thinking about taking a pair of binoculars to, you, to the games? Oh, very much so. Yeah, we were taking all sorts of things in those days. <laughs> um, so, um, and, and another question I want to ask, now you're in a brand new, shiny new stadium, is is the PA system better? Oh, it's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. I, you know, I'm a, I've been to most grounds in the country and I was always very envious. The PA at Griffin Park was dire. And I've always wanted to pay... If I was in charge of me, but wanted to play dramatic classical music, oh. love it. I used to love going to Stadium of Light. Uh, that was a couple of times I've been up there, and was it the Rise of the Valkyries or something similar oh, to that? Wow. Fantastic bit of music, and there's so many good bits of music you could play. Mm-hmm. But it would have been totally wasted at Griffin Park. Now, yes, they're playing it. I mean, it's a whole new production. I'm still doing my stuff on the mic, but the PA sound is—it's almost overbearing, particularly with no fans there. 
Yeah, a shame that, isn't it? To move into a place with a, an incredible new sound system and, and no fans to soak that up. I mean, I, I think, you know, everybody's been hit hard over the last year, but I think Brentford, for Brentford fans to move from an old stadium but not see the final game and then move to a new stadium and not see the first game has mm. been so tough. And in fairness, from, from a first-team perspective, they've almost playing as an away game, away ground this season because it's a new ground to them. Mm-hmm. So it's been, everything's been tough for the, for the fans, for the players, but particularly for the fans. You know, we were there sort of 116 years, but not to be able to say a proper farewell has been tough for everybody. And to say they've not had a, apart from a, a couple of thousand people at two games early on in the season, others haven't had a chance to welcome new stadium yet. Mm. That, obviously, we were going to come on to. We might as well that that doing that last game at, at Griffin Park. Yeah. I mean, such such a shame the fans couldn't be there for it. But did you still manage to make a bit of a moment about it? What did you do? What did you put together? Yeah. What did you say? Well, we almost had we had three last games if you like, and we played um, Sheffield Wednesday on seventh of March, which transpired to be our final game, where we won five nil. And it was a really special feel about that day. COVID had started a few days earlier. I think people beginning to think something could happen. And we had a near-capacity crowd. And to win 5-0, and the, at the end of the game, was the players went round and Thomas took the, the coaching staff around the ground as well. And it was that was very, very special. But the final game was in the playoff semi-final. We played Swansea, mm-hmm. the back end of July, I think 29th July. July. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did a special message over to PA with nobody there and to camera, which they then put on the uh, website a little bit later. And I said some things which are very close to my heart, and, but I finished it by quoting the lyrics from Madonna's This Used to Be My Playground, which uses words like, used to be my playground, used to be my childhood dream. This used to be a place I ran to whenever I was in need of a friend. And that meant everything to me because... That's where we did run to. Everybody, fans sort of go to stadiums because that's where they meet their friends. They they watch a game, but they also socialise. And therefore, stadiums mean so much to people. So that was very much part of my final speech. But it wasn't, without wishing a boy, that wasn't my final game. We had a, a, a B-team game there uh, towards the end of August. It was the London Senior Cup semi-final, which you believe. And we played Erith Town. And it was quite special because the coaching staff, uh, I spoke to the players before the game and told them what it should mean to them being the very last game at Griffin Park. And then the coaching staff, the head coach, the chief coach asked me if I'd go in into the dressing room after the game and give the last post-match um, talk to the players. And I did it. And it was very, very emotional. Really? Wow. Yeah. It's, it's just... So I mean, those those kind of moments are the kind that, that deserve, you know, fans there to say goodbye. And the fact that you prepared yeah. those words and everything for it as well, you know, for the leaving of a stadium. Did it, I think I've, I've seen a couple of those videos where you, you read those words out and it is, it's yeah. weird because it's just you and an, and an empty ground and, it, and it's so, it's, it's poignant, but it feels so, I don't know, strange and a bit wrong in a way as well. It, it is tough and it's, but do you know what? It's one of those things and I, I'm probably somewhat different to a lot of fans. They've, they've started now knocking the stadium down, the stands down. It's taken a while, but they've started now. Mm. 
And I feel a lot happier once Griffin Park's gone mm -hmm. because I always have vision when we've been to places like Rotherham, when you look at the, the new stadium and you look across and you see the old stadium. Yeah. Or when you used to go to Bristol, we'd go to Bristol and you'd go past Eastfield, the old stadiums. And I'd far rather that we'd moved on. Uh, or put it another way, I've been able to move on because I've gone from one stadium to another mm. and now I've accepted a new stadium. But I know it's tough on fans because they haven't had the chance at the community stadium or where they remember is Griffin Park. So it's a real mix and it is difficult. Have you um, have you got anything from Griffin Park? Any bits of the picture? My memories. Do you know, I, people ask me, and quite a few people ask me what I took when I was given what I took, and it's my memory. Mm -hmm. And it's people. That's as already mentioned there. It's it was my playground. It was where I met my friends. Um, and it's socialised. And that's what I think. I've had great memories, good matches, bad matches, all sorts of different things. But it's the people you meet, whether it's on or off the pitch. It's the people you meet at the stadium, and you can't replace memories. And I'll have those for the rest of my life. So let, let's talk about the, the what have been you know some of the best moments you've been the announcer there for. Well, I have to say the last six seasons or so, once we've been in the championship, uh, we, we flirted with the what was the second level back in the early 90s for one season. But we've been in back in the championship. And I think people now, I get very proud that people recognise us Brentford, not Brentwood in Essex. And if we'd go on holiday, you know, you'd say what club you support. Uh, Brentford, a team near Heathrow, uh, you know, and you'd, it's west of London. Oh, yeah, it's nice the fact that people recognise Brentford through the quality of football we have. And I think it's Brentford says a lot about the, both on and off the pitch. The best moments being able to attend no fan games, which you already mentioned. Mm. Um, and what was special when we had the two home games with fans earlier this season. Um, obviously, I welcomed the team out on the pitch and I stand in front of the tunnel when the team come out and the first two people out were Pontus. Pontus Janssen, the Henrik Dalsgaard. And they said to me afterwards, and I, I knew I felt it as I actually welcomed them as I do onto the pitch. I felt emotion. And they said as they ran out and ran towards the far side, they themselves got emotional to suddenly see fans back in the ground. Mm -hmm. So I, feel, I count myself lucky that I, I can still go to every game. So I've seen every Brentford home game. And, and any particular matches that stick in the memory i mean you know obviously we've got 52 years to, to look back on but yeah it's, particular games I, well it's, you know yes there are odd games yeah i mean we beat everton um we beat them in the sort of whichever carabao cup now but a good few years ago it's a football league cup yeah. we beat them um funny enough the game that always stands out for me and it's again not that too long back but it was when we were our first season back in the championship and we played on a September evenings, that was the first evening claim. We played Norwich City. We lost. We were outstanding, funny enough, that night, and we had a capacity crowd. And to have a capacity crowd at Griffin Park in the Championship, and it was a quality game, and it's just a game that stands out for me. It just, it was very, very special. And as I say, we're still there, so I count, that, but I count my blessings. And, and you know, to, especially when it comes to you know, games when you know there's going to be an atmosphere. Before, I mean, obviously, every, every game you get an, a certain atmosphere, but there are certain games, I'm guessing, you know, against your friends from Shepherd Bush, so we call them. 
I'm, you know, I'm, well, that's all I've recorded in Shepherd's Bush. Yeah. yeah, I mean, for just in case anyone's not sure, I'll say I'll say the three letters once, and then I promise never to say them again. QP. Thank you. Um, then that's it. They're done now. Never again. Um, Thanks, Rich. Thank you. But but they're they're um there must have been you know when you when you've got games against them at home when you're approaching before you've even got in you know you know there's going to be a real special atmosphere and you're going to get to orchestrate a bit of that later on yeah no absolutely i just yeah i mean there are those games games against fulham as well you know it just there are there's probably a lot of games over the years but you know there's yeah. just certain games that stand out for me um i suppose i mean in fairness you know, somebody was trying to count up, and I haven't counted the games, but they did something on a, one of the social sites a couple of years ago. And I suppose home and away in all games, all levels of Brentford, I must be approaching about 2,900. So I've seen a lot of games in my time. Yeah. Sometimes to pick out some. I, I haven't got the best of memory. You know, when people talk about a game from, do you remember in the 80s when so and so and so? No, no, I don't. I'll be honest. No, I don't. Yeah. I was there, but I don't necessarily remember it. <laughs> Um, and, and in any respect as well, are, are there any that have stuck in the memory necessarily, not necessarily for such great reasons? Like you say, I know, I know not many do, but any particular times or recently, you know, when you, cause you've had to fill that role of picking up the crowd from disappointment as well, because it's one thing creating yeah, the atmosphere, isn't yeah. it? But that's I, the other aspect yeah, of I mean, the job. Yeah, there is a game that stands out for that. We played Oldham Athletic in the FA Cup and we'd drawn away. Uh, so we had a, obviously it was the second round of the FA Cup so we had to replay at Griffin Park it went to extra time it was penalties we lost 4-2 on penalties but of course the draw had already been made for the third round and we would have been home to Chelsea and you literally could have heard a pin drop it was awful but you've got to pick the crowd up you know and it is different and I felt exactly the same way that they did um, but you know, I, I just, you know, it was all about the next game. We were playing Cambridge United and funny enough, the end of the season, we got promoted and we just picked Cambridge. Um, but it was just trying to big up the next game against Cambridge United. Mm. Whether anybody was listening, I'm not too sure they were. They were just totally gutted. The fact they'd missed out an opportunity and we had very few opportunities at that time to meet teams in what would the first division or would have been the Premier there in fairness. And, uh, how much? How hard? How much harder is that when you're a supporter? Uh, it is hard, but it's, it's say it comes to the job. It comes. You just know you you need to lift, and that's why you're there. Mm. You know, you lift. It's it's. I, I find because I you know I sort of work full time with the club is when I'm with other people and they're talking to me and they're sort of oh, saying so was rubbish and that game probably the worst I've seen. Well, that last game was never the worst I've seen. I've seen worse over the years. Um, but I, I can't be negative. I will always, maybe roast in the glasses, but I will always be positive, you know, Mr. Positivity, if you like. That's the way I will always be about everything. For me, once once a game's funny enough, the way I feel about Brentford, I'm as staunch as a Brentford supporter you can get. But once the game's over, I can do absolutely nothing about it. The players can, the coaches can, but the fans can't. And therefore, what's the point in ruining my weekend? There is a life outside of it. Whatever you know, Bill Shankly may have said, there is something outside of it. Um, and and therefore, I get over that game. I look forward to the next game immediately. I mean, I know Thomas Frank quite rightly talks about the next game is the most important game, and it is for me. So I can he can do something about it. The players can. I can do once that final whistle goes. 
I can do absolutely nothing about it. Mm-hmm. And that helps me being positive. You know, so I'm not going to sit there for the next two days and then read reports of other people, what they thought of the game. I know, I saw the game. Mm-hmm. I know we lost. That's it, done. Done and dusted. That's in the record books. Now let's just move on. Great. Peter, you know, you've had such a long time as a stadium announcer at Brentford. What happens yeah. if you miss a game or have you ever missed a game and why? Why have you missed a game? It's, it's uh, our biggest dread, isn't it, for all of us? stadium announcers yeah i've missed two games actually uh i missed uh an fa cup tie third round tie a home to sunderland back in 2006 which we won so i obviously deeply regretted that but it's another game which is quite memorable uh in 2003 i'd booked a holiday because there was no particular fixture this was in february and uh, booked to go away for about 10 days and everything was fine. There was an away game. Everything worked well. But then they fixed the game against Colchester United at home. And I was talking, well, I've been watching Soccer AM a couple of well, some weeks beforehand. And Helen Chamberlain was on and she was talking she'd never been a match day announcer at any ground. I mean, talkie fan, but she'd never been, a, you know, doing the stuff that we do on a match day. So after she would like to cover that particular game against Colchester, she jumped at the chance. <laughs> so I was on a holiday and uh, happened to be in the Maldives. She was there on a microphone, a game against Colchester, and he got called up at halftime with a frozen pitch. <laughs> so I never got to miss the game. And she got her wish. Well, oh, that's, anyway. that's a great story. So, that, that, that's some record, that, Peter. So you've only yeah. ever missed two games in 52 games, seasons. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And... So you must have an understanding family then if you're working your holidays around it all and everything. I mean, that I have got the most understanding wife in the world. Unfortunately, yeah. she's a Brentford fan as well. And she looks after all the away travel for us, takes the away fans when, when we can take away fans the game. She looks after that. So I've got a very understanding family of the two of us. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's even better that you're both involved and that makes it yeah, a bit more do. special. Yeah. I mean, obviously, when we've been doing the podcast, we've been asking... The stadium announcers, you know, the best memories, the worst memories. What, what's happened with like when you've made a mistake? I mean, do any come to light with you when you look back at your career and you think, oh wow, I'm, you know, I said this or I shouldn't have said that. What, what stands out for you? I, I probably made a lo- I probably made loads, but it doesn't. I'm sure I dropped load of clangers, but it doesn't bother me because I was just saying to Rich a little bit earlier. I, I, I don't particularly like a script. I'd far rather just talk the way it is. I think that's what people understand. That's the way I've been at Brentford. It changed a few years ago when I started to get the script. It would drive me mad that I'm expected to talk. And it happens now because obviously we're in New Stadium. And I do understand it's probably like that in the Premier Alan. But, you know, it's suddenly for doing it for 44, 45 years and somebody came in from another club uh, as it head of marketing and suddenly I was getting the script to say this at 2.12 and this at 2.37 and say these words. And it, it almost killed me. It was just, it, it it ruined the sort of camaraderie we had between myself and the fans. It was real good repartee we had going. So, and therefore I didn't mind, you know, if I felt over bana- fell over banana skin, I didn't care. It was part of it. I've stood on a pitch and I've got absolutely soaked twice when the sprinklers come on. <laughs> you know, we were doing a presentation for some 
under eight kids and they were all lined <laughs> up and I then brought back to it. And the next thing is I got absolutely soaked. But I stood there, chucked the microphone in the air and just had a laugh and picked it up. Um, I, 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 I just wanted to sort of react and respond to the crowd, if you like, as much as anything. Yeah. So if I had made clangers, it, it doesn't really matter and that's part of it. I mean, I announced a hat-trick for player when he didn't get a hat-trick. I suppose that was one of them. Um, but I think <laughs> the one the clangers that I think PA announcers, <coughs> excuse me, can say is when they say the score of our first goal. And it's amazing the number of times I've heard that. And you think, well, why announce the score of our first goal? As if you're going to get a second. You know, <laughs> it, it just it, it just happens when I've been to away games. And uh, so I think there's things that we just need to know ourselves, the, the, you know, the do's and don'ts. Very true. Very true. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there was, uh, there was, there was a social media clip somewhere, and, and we've we've spoken to a few announcers before about being caught out by, uh, you know, the rude names, which seem completely innocent when you read them, and you know when you see them yeah, in your head, yeah. and then you read them out, and all of a sudden realise it sounds something completely different. But there's not much you can do once it's gone, is there? Yeah, I, I've done, I've done that. Yeah, we've had requests, and we had that. I think it was a new stadium. You know, I've done, <coughs> excuse me, exactly that. And they record it and goes on the uh, PS2. It didn't get picked up before. I've just read it out. Yeah. But I did it totally innocently. Yeah. So, you know, do I look an idiot because of it? No, I don't think so. I, I just read it out in total innocence. I didn't see that at the time. It's only got, got picked up afterwards. Um, but at the time, it didn't, if, if you like, it didn't bother me in the slightest. Mm-hmm. What's the... Um... Now, you're, what we haven't spoken about actually is what your your role is at the club because obviously you're one of the announcers. And we haven't spoken to too many like this who actually work for the club during the week and then do this on on yeah. match day. So, so during the week at the club, you're player welfare officer. Is that right? Yeah, my my paid role is I'm player welfare manager, um, which is again I I think I'm the luckiest guy alive. I can work for the club who I love and I've supported all my life. So. Um, yeah, I'm a player welfare manager. Uh, I'd sort of started I'd very, very briefly, but 64 to 94, I worked at the BBC in finance. And then I got made redundant. And then I was offered a job at the club, which was fantastic. <coughs> to apologise. A guy called Keith Loring, who was chief executive at Brentford. And I was very close to and worked closely with him outside of the outside of football because i wasn't working there apart from doing match day stuff which i do voluntarily always have done and continue to do so um and he's put my name forward as being commercial manager at brentford and i did i met the chairman and i jumped to the chance to become commercial manager and then subsequent to that i've been a communications manager and program editor mm-hmm. and then uve rosler uh who was manager at uh, brentford he asked our chief executive at the time a guy called mark devlin if I could move to the training ground and work full-time there as the welfare, it was a player liaison manager at the time, is now welfare manager. Uh, I jumped at the chance, got a play, got away from all the politics of the football ground as you get. Mm-hmm. So to be at the training ground with my idols, with my heroes, I, I just as I say, I'm the luckiest guy alive and I love it. And as a player welfare manager, <clears throat> the first thing I'll say to any player, you can ask me anything you want, whatever you want me to do, the only thing you don't ask me is why aren't I playing? That's down to the head coach. <laughs> what, what, a re- what a really cool thing to end up doing, though. You know, through that, the, oh. you know, the love of the club, and then being there. I mean, obviously, we, we we speak to our announcers a lot about 
the relationships they can or maybe can't strike up with their, you know, with the heroes, with their players, with with the manager, and, and it varies at different levels depending on on who you speak to, how long they've been in the job, and and I suppose you know ultimately the 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 attitude of the players and the manager as to whether they engage with you that much, but through that role that must mean I suppose you have a better relationship with the players and managers that you're announcing about than, than most yeah yeah I, I, I mean you mentioned the team from West 12 a little bit earlier yeah. and one of the things that every player when I first meet when I first meet them and they will get to know is how important those two games are each season when we meet them mm-hmm. uh, and and they're aware of that and the games that we've had we played against them I've had messages from, well, you know, West Brom, Romain Sawyer's has contacted me after the mm-hmm. game when you beat the team from West 12, said, I've done that for you, Pete. I had Hardy D and Maxime Collan and Hota doing that from Birmingham City. We've done that for you, Pete. Uh, and the players get very special, home and away. And I've spoken, the manager, Dean Smith, asked me to speak in the home dressing room after we beat the team to Shepherds Bush a few seasons ago. In the dressing room after the game, he wanted me to speak to the players and tell them what it meant for me as a fan and therefore for all supporters. I've done the same at Loftus Road when we played there. I got asked to do exactly the same. Um, <coughs> excuse me. And it, I do get a very special relationship with the players. If I could do that for every, all 46 games a season, fantastic. Yeah. But it is those relationships. I had a very great relationship with side Ben Rama now at West Ham. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very special. And I, he lost his father. And I think he sort of tended to take... Thomas and myself as, as his father mm-hmm. um, and it was a special relationship and he I remember when we scored at Loftus Road he scored a penalty he celebrated momentarily and the next thing he ran across to the bench and I was sitting behind the bench to celebrate with me and there was a, a similar game at Griffin Park the same season and he scored in the home game and he scored is what we call the Enium Road end and when he scored he ran all the way to the far end where we got a tunnel in the corner because he thought I was there, and I sit at the back of the stand. Oh. He was told by the tunnel steward, Pete's at the back of the stand. He came at halfway, and I looked up, and we got the old heart. So um, oh. I, I, I'm so lucky to have great relationship with Sai particularly, but so many Brentford players. That is, that's very cool. That's very cool uh, for a player, uh, isn't it? Yeah, I think out, that's what Yeah, that's yeah. Definitely not met another stadium announcer who's. No, who's done that? No, that's a that's a proper first. That is, that's a real. Yeah, it, I, again, I suppose it's because I've been player welfare manager and therefore I've been close to the players. So I suppose that's not my role as 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 the PA announcer. Um, but it's just the role that I've had with with the manager. I mean, fairness, I've I've worked with twenty eight managers since I've been doing the PA. So there's a <laughs> lot of managers in my time. But in more recent times, I've got very close with Uwe Rosler, Mark Warburton, yep. particularly with Dean Smith and mm-hmm. I suppose even more so with Thomas Frank. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was with Dean and fairness Martin Allen beforehand. Oh, so they've been to, I got on really well with a lot of Mickey Allen. There's a lot of managers that I've got on really well with, but it's only in sort of recent years I've been going to the dressing room, but that I've actually been asked to talk to the players. Um, and that is, as you can imagine, it's very emotional and it's, it's very, very special to me. Is, is there a little bit of you that, because because you know we get um you know and I get we get a great impression you know when we do these podcasts about everyone's style 
and everyone's, you know, um, persona, you know, when they're on the mic, but who they are and, and how they do it. Um, is, is there ever a bit of you when you go and do that, that, that stops and maybe even the first time you got to go and do that? Was there ever a little bit of you that kind of got, God, I've just gone and done that. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm the guy on the mic and I, I get to meet the players, but they've asked me, you know, I just got to go in the dressing room and speak to the speak to the lads and give them you know is, is there a little bit of the i think I, rich rich i think that every time yeah i think you know i'm, I'm honored that i can step over the white line as most announcers do um you know we talk about that white line and it, it is special to me i treat every player they're all heroes to me you know and i'm i'm 74 and i'm talking to players you know and we meet them every day who are 18 20 24 you know, the old is probably about 29. So there's 40 odd years between us. But I mentioned the word, word of a couple minutes ago, respect. Yeah. And that respect means everything to me. And it means I like to think with the players, whether it's players, manager to me or me to the manager and players. Uh, what I do as part of the welfare is I talk to the players at the start of the season. I do a presentation uh, to the players and it talks about the history of the club because I think it's important that every player knows it's I call it I call it kissing the badge yeah. because you know you get players may score to go to kiss the badge but if you change their shirt before they went out they'd still kiss that same area whether it's the badge or not and I think I want the players who play for Brentford Football Club to understand why they're playing for Brentford Football Club we have a history of supporter you know whether it's Matthew Benham where it's Lifeline who I'm chairman of whether it was when you know the, the team down the road we can take us over the 67 each time it's supporters who came to rescue the club and i want the players to understand what it's about and i then during that i talk about respect and manners things which you know it's you know it's, it's like the old day you know good old days but it, it's so so important to me and as i said i mentioned respect and i think that's important i respect them i still treat them as my heroes uh, but I talk to them on a one-to-one -one basis. But mm -hmm. to me, they're my heroes. They've, they've got the red and white on, so I support every one of them. It's incredible. And, and do you think, and how does it influence or how does it aid your job as the announcer, do you think, having those relationships? Uh, totally. I mean, they just, you know, I, I, we talk about it during the week because um, I'm with them all the time at the training ground. We talk about it, talking about making an announcement, um, you know, and I... <laughs> It's one of those things we all do it we when we score we obviously make an announcement because we're in a hollow stadium at the moment and griffin park was obviously the same in the last game we had uh you'd sort of hear my voice outside and i, I think the players love that as well the fact that it's going to be resonating around um and sometimes they play to it they play to the camera first i think they enjoy their name being shouted out um it's just a i just i can't even describe it but it is, I, I'm so lucky to work with quality people and something that I've loved all my life. Ideal job, perfect job. Yeah. You know, you, you will never find, uh, I don't think you'll ever find a stadium announcer who will easily give up their role, you know, because once 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 you're there, and we, we talk about it all the time, you know, we talk about retiring and finishing. No one, no one ever wants to give up that mic ever wants to give up that mic in that position and what you get to do where you get to stand what you, what how you get to be part of a match day is just so so unique and you know we always count our lucky stars 
that we're doing what we're doing. I, d- I just absolutely love the fact that, you know, that that relationship extends beyond just being that announcer. Because sometimes we can be roles yeah. where, you know, dare I say it, sometimes bigger clubs, bigger places, we, you know, you, you sort of get passed by a little bit, you know, and, and that may yeah. be a bit naive coming from my point of view, having only been at West Brom for sort of the last five, six years. Alan, I'm on, I'm on what your experience is as, as that as a whole, I suppose, you know, about there's because you've been at Old Trafford for over 20 years now. So, so, you know, you are you are a recognised voice from, you know, decades and generations of fans. But in, in the early days, did you feel that you were part of the furniture or did it feel a bit distant? It's a strange one. And listening to Peter talk there with such passion and commitment. I mean, most of the, the people who we speak to, most of the stadium announcers, they obviously speak with that love and dedication of the club because most of them are fans of the club. Mm. But um, I think if I'm being honest, I, I, you know, I loved United so much and I'm fortunate as well, Peter, that um, my wife is a big United fan and that was something we did before we ever had children. We had season tickets. So I used to sit there, sit there in the Stretford end, you know, listening to their stadium announcer at the time, Old Trafford thinking, oh, how much I'd love that job, you know. And I think, I think when I got the job, you know, it was 2000. So it was, it was the season after we'd done the, the treble. So it wasn't like the, the August after it was the, the following year, and you know you had you had these iconic players, you know Schmeichel sort of was was there. Um, I beg your pardon, uh, Keane was still there. Schmeichel had actually gone uh, and left United by then. But you had Gary Neville, you had these iconic players, David Beckham that I'm announcing. And to answer your question, Rich, if I'm honest, it, I think it took me a couple of years to get into that where I felt accepted, you know, because I was coming in. The previous announcer had been there 10 years um, and I felt I was sort of learning the trade as I'd gone along, you know, with each sort of match and each season. So I think it was two or three years that I, I, I think to term your phrase, I, I became part of the furniture. I certainly feel part of it now. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. in them early days, if I'm being totally truthful, it took a while, you know, because mm. I wanted to win win over to Alex Ferguson's trust and things like this, you know, where I knew he, he could trust me and, rely on me and not let him down and things like that. That was very important to me at the time, you know, because he was so iconic well, and, and it, still is. And, well, it, and it does help the relationship when uh, you have the same manager, <laughs> which is not something that neither me or, uh, well, or Peter can say really. Yeah. Yeah. That, that comes into it, you know, and it's one of those where, you know, it's very true. I mean, there's a documentary coming out, out coming out this month about Sir Alex, you know, and um, you know, it's very true because, you know, he literally did know everybody's name. And I know that sounds a bit far-fetched, but he did. You know, he knew he, he knew the, the ladies who made the tea at the training camp. He knew the staff. He got to know you, you know, and he could tell you things when you'd meet him. And, like, obviously, I was privileged over the years to do loads of stuff with him. But he always seemed to have his finger on the pulse with everything, you know, about the club and the heartbeat. And he was, you know, he was the, the central part of all that. Yeah, that's all about respect. Yes, it is, Peter. Yes, yeah, it is respect. And yeah. even now, you know, when I mean, I've not obviously seen him since lockdown, but I was very fortunate to still do some events with him. And prior to him finishing, and you know, it, it was still boss. You know, obviously, you have to refer to him as Sir Alex. That that's protocol. Yeah. Um, but you know, he, in my eyes, he was always boss. You know, and when we'd be going through a running order or something, if we were doing an event together, you know, it was just that aura in the room that and that's not just in the uk on tours when you're abroad and 
there's sort of all you know when he, that that aura when he walks into a room you, you can see it in people's faces yeah, really, when, he, yeah. when he'd speak to them you know it's so it's so interesting that it's so interesting that and, and what a great thing to be able to you know get over to the team and, to, and you know to new players especially so i bet that must be a real experience for players and, and something they probably don't experience in many of the clubs should they play for them yeah and it's important because you know i do it for the b team as i say first team with the b team and all, and all the coaching staff so you know because each year obviously new people come in and it's important to know what Bradford Fort club is about That's Not My Name is uh, a game we play every episode on the pod, uh, which is about that wonderful moment where we've all been there, where we have to try and pronounce a name that we're not 100% sure on. Now, normally, as in is always good practice, we like to do our research before each game. So when those odd names come up that we're not sure about, we can tackle them. The difference with this one is, is you get a couple of seconds to have a look at the name and then I'm going to ask you to pronounce it. So... Coming into your WhatsApp group right now is this episode's player. He's a goalkeeper who at the minute plies his trade for Cincinnati in America, of all places. Um, so I will ask you very shortly both to have a go at pronouncing the name of that player. Premier's Lauter Tony. Nice. Alan, what do you think about this one? Yeah, I think the first one, yeah. Premier's Lauter Tony. Ty Tony, I'm going for. Ty Tony. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, well, this guy, he's, he's quite commonly known, apparently, in Cincinnati as the Polish Eagle, which I think is a very cool nickname, and so MLS, it's untrue. Uh, here's a little bit of commentary with his name in, so we can see if, how close you got. Shemishwan Titan, as the Polish Eagle punches it away. I'll spin it once more, because it's right at the start. Here we go. Shemishwan Titan. Prishlimishlav Titan, apparently. The, th the thing that's very handy, if he ever does come into the English league and you end up playing against him, apparently he's quite happy to be known as TT. I would, name, I would just call him the Polish Eagle. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a cool name anyway, isn't it? You'd love to be known as the Polish Eagle. <laughs> oh, right. Um, Peter, final part, as always, we ask our guests to sort of describe, take us through and almost, if they can, help us picture and be there for your 2.55 moment. The five minutes before kickoff uh, where you go from players being in the tunnel to them walking out and you uttering whatever phrase it is you utter as the players walk out on the pitch. So take, take us through that moment. How does it all work? Uh, I was starting, first and foremost, I was welcoming the presentation so it's welcome to the uh, Brentford Community Stadium and I would obviously welcome the the away team and then when it comes to Brentford I do a Michael Buffer like welcome you know the okay you beach fans here they come uh, and what, what music do you have when they walk out do you know what I, if you're asking me I couldn't even tell you at the moment because that's all done in the old days I would pick the music used to love that yeah. now nicest was why I'm almost I, I honestly, hand on heart, couldn't tell you what the music is what, when they come out. What, what did you used to? We used to, we used to do Hey Jude. I started playing Hey Jude in the seventies when I used to know a friend called Judy Kaufman, yeah. who was a friend of ours, the group of ours, and therefore I started playing it then. And it's a song that obviously quite a few teams uh, play. It, sorry, fans sing, mm -hmm. and Brentford do. And we used to play that at Griffin Park. Um, and tell you the best bit of music we ever played, and 
people still ask is the power game by Silver Stable. And it's one that's honestly so many Brentford fans see, and they asked as we've saw last season at Griffin Park, being our last season, that's the one they wanted to hear the power game Silver Stapleton. Whoa, there we are. Nice. Did, did 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 players or managers ever try and tinker with the walkout or the the pre match music no, in any way? No. The only per, the only person who tried to tinker with the music, and in fairness, he since he owned the club, he can. That's uh, Matthew Venom. He has his own tasting music, and he suggested to others about what should be played. So that's why I'm very happy now not to be involved with music. Okay, yeah, it can it can be one of those. And you, what, what, you know, as as a, as a radio DJ of 20 years, I can tell you, trying to please everyone is impossible. <laughs> yeah, and, and when you've absolutely. got as passionate an audience as football fans, then oh, believe me, the year the year at West Brom when they decided to not play the Liquidator before kickoff, <laughs> that did not that did not go down well. It really did not go down well. If, if it works and everybody sings along to it, no matter what they call Wolverhampton in it, I think you keep it. <laughs> I would love Peter's... to have a song. In fairness, sorry, Anne, but I'd, I'd love to have a song that we could latch on to, yeah. but we haven't got one. But, um, you know, it's one of those things you almost want to get the fans, well, you want to get, forget about a football match, just get the fans into the stadium, give them a couple of hours and just work with them and say, look, this is what we want to do uh, and just have a song. We don't have a song that we, you know, that we sing along to, which is unique to Brentford. Yeah. And I really wish we did. Peter, I was just going to say, um, we all love going to other stadiums and listening to, our fellow colleagues, stadium announcers, etc. Um, in your 52 years, what, what stadiums have you enjoyed going to? I suppose like Rich and I and many others who will be listening to this podcast and listening to other colleagues, who, who do you enjoy or where have you enjoyed going? Well, I enjoy Bramwell Lane because when I go there, the honestly, handle how I can't remember the guy's name, but we always, he, you know, he says to me, would you like to introduce a team? And I've jumped at the chance to be able to do that as an away ground. So that's always been quite special when we go into Bramall Lane. I didn't um, know they did that. That is interesting. Was that when they were playing? Well, was that when they were playing any team or your team? It was our team when when we played there, we played right. there a few seasons ago, and uh, wow. as I say, that's what happened. And he gave me the opportunity to uh, read the team out, and I jumped at it. And I've done it twice there. No way! I've never heard of that before either. Have you, Al? No, never, never. That's, Everyone's that's always cool. a bit fearful, aren't they, of sort of bringing, <laughs> bringing the rivals in. I, like you, I wouldn't let anybody join the Brentford, that's for certain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant, exactly. Yeah, that. And um, Peter, I'm intrigued, just if you don't mind, What, what? I think we should give your lovely wife a little name check because she's been, you know, bearing with up with you for the last 52 years as the voice of Linda. Brentford. What, what's, her name, what's her, her name? name her name's Linda, and she's been, as I say, absolutely brilliant. She's backed me in everything I've done. Um, and as I say, she's brilliant because she looks after all the away travel for Brentford fans when they when they eventually get to go to away games again. Oh, well, you, you, you've got an invitation from uh, myself and Rich that when all things settle down, yeah. um, you're very welcome to come and join us at Old Trafford with Linda or whoever. We'll sort that That'd out, Peter. Yeah. That Although, would be lovely. Welcome. Thank you. You, you can come to West Brom, but I don't know if I'll let you read the teams out. <laughs> I think well, we can have an agreement now that that's not going to happen for any of us. 
that is that I'd, I'd like to think that I might be able to visit a lot of Premier clubs next season, not well, Championship clubs. Well, yeah, yeah, all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't quite know how it's going to pan out, but yeah. And and Pete, just is this just going back to your your, um, your two fifty five moment? Um, yeah. All, all the vid- all the videos that I saw and all the stuff I read up on talked about your Brentford roar. Yeah. So just just give us that that you do as the players walk out. Well, I'm fair if all due respect to neighbours here, I'd rather not do it as <laughs> I do it because <laughs> yeah. I, I it I just I said to you when I was in Griffin Park, people were waiting on that. People who live locally, they were waiting on that because that's the only bit of Brentford they got. Yeah. That's all they could really hear with no fans <laughs> in there. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things. My my grandson does it now. He's five years old and he does. Granddad, they'd go Brentford. So you get that. So he's got off to a T. So when I retire, if I ever retire, I've got PA announcer lined up. He's my grandson. Yeah, very good. No, yeah, make make sure you got your replacement ready to go, but not before, not before you know, too soon. That's yeah, but, indeed. But, but and and just did you always have you always said the same thing as the players come out? Have yeah. you always said the same same few lines before they come out. Yeah, it's always come on, you bees fans, come on, Brentford. So, but it's loud. Brentford, so yeah. it's exactly that. So it's come on, you bees fans, come on, Brentford. And, and, and I bet that's such a staple now, isn't it? And that and that must when when you say that and you get that roar back, is that that's yeah. that's the moment we do it for, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's it's you know, it, and you've said you've seen a couple of videos. They sort of tend to use it. There's a guy called Stuart Hughes who does a sort of podcast after every game, and it gets introduced with my Brentford. Um, and it is it's just it is special to me when it's it just I, I think it's good and it's the same for Alan most certainly that it, you become the voice of. Mm, yeah. You know, and they sort of gave me the title Mr. Brentford, but it, in fairness, because they probably got fed up with me now, but they've heard my voice for so many years. And at one time I was doing club call as well. Uh, you know, and it just wherever you went, you can hear Peter Gillam talking, you know. God. So you might as well get on with him and listen to him and you know placate him rather than rather than not so yeah it's all forever thought club for me has been very very special club club call there's a blast from the yeah. past how what was that again i remember i remember that was kind of like the way you kept in touch with the team before websites wasn't it yeah yeah it certainly was so did, did you have to did you what, what was it that you read a sort of a load of news out and record it and then people could ring up and listen to it yeah, it just yeah, we did that during the week we do club call, it'll be all about the club news and what's happening and if we were gonna yeah. sign a player and then we'd do a commentary on a match day and I remember playing V S rugby in the FA Cup tie away and I had to sit up on a on the social club roof and the only thing I had to sit on it was just a regular seat and the only cover I had was a bit like the red and white red and white little tent you used to get in the road um years ago when they were covering a bit of roadworks and that was covering me. And I had a WPC had never been to a game before stood outside of that. And I was sitting there on one of the old fashioned phones. It was all wired up yeah. doing a commentary and it chucked it down all afternoon. <laughs> Fortunately we won, but that was, yeah, that's over the days of yeah, club call. Yeah. Oh eight nine eight twelve eleven oh eight. That was the number. Final question, Peter. We will wrap it up with the same question we ask all of our guests, uh, which is, in your opinion, what makes a good stadium announcer? Well, I think a good PA system. I think good clarity. 
to have confidence, no fear. I mentioned that earlier, just just go for it, no fear whatsoever. I, I like to say no script, but I think we have to have script nowadays. But just tell me when I'm talking. Don't tell me what I've got to say. Just tell me when I'm talking. Um, so therefore, be off the cuff. And finally, and most important thing, be yourself, be natural. Peter, it's been great hearing from you. And, you know, I, I've got another question down here that says, you know, what keeps you coming back to the job every season? But I think we pretty much know. We've, we've, we've just, it's been so evident throughout the whole thing about, you know, how, how, you know, how lucky you feel and, and how much, you know, how much it is the number one job you would, uh, we would always love to have. And, and I guess we'll have for a lot longer. I sincerely hope so. And I've thoroughly enjoyed this time. So thank you very much, Rich. And Alan, it's been an absolute pleasure meeting and talking to you as well. Yeah, Peter, likewise, uh, an absolute privilege and an honour, my friend, and uh, keep up the good work. And as I say, um, I'm sure Rich and I will be in agreement. We want Brentford to go up. So I, I certainly look forward to meeting you and welcoming you to the Theatre of Dreams. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, James, very What an incredible gen, and we are all genuinely hoping that after over 70 years of supporting Brentford and over 50 being the man on the mic, that next season, Peter does get to do it in the Premier League. Everything crossed for him. Thank you very much for listening to this and the whole series. Season two has been an absolute crack. I'd like to thank all the guests who've been on with us. So Paul Burrell at Arsenal talking about the time when they almost broke the North Bank. Matt Crawley at Luton, who has his own custom sound effects to play in over the top of the crowd. Rod at Fleetwood and bringing in Captain Pugwash as goal music. Mike at Bournemouth gets incredible catering. Uh, Alex Kirkley at Man City, the first person we ever heard to have a live audition in an empty stadium. Followed by Joel Wagstaff of Forest Green Rovers, the second person who also had a live audition inside the stadium. Uh, Paul Coit at Spurs, who does the half-times there and his larger-than-life stories about Maradona. Paul Thelwell at Barnsley, who's helping us all rewrite our contracts so we get free beer at the end of the game. And just heard him, Peter Gillam from Brentford um, remember to keep in touch with us on the socials we are at announcers pod on Twitter and of course you can find us on Instagram where we are we welcome your team's pod uh, very soon we'll be back with a special episode celebrating the European Championships where we will bring together Chris Temple from Wembley and Graham Easton from Hampden Park our own England versus Scotland special. That'll be on the way soon. And before we know it, the new season will be upon us and we'll be speaking to plenty more stadium announcers. Uh, remember to get back and listen to some of the uh, episodes you might not have caught, including George Sefton from Series 1, second longest serving uh, ahead, uh, just behind Peter. And of course, the one we did with Alan Keegan of Man United right at the start. I mean, made up that he's been with us all the way through these two seasons. Here's to the next one. Whatever league we find ourselves in, the main thing will be the fans will be back. So here is one final announcement. With all fans planning to return to football in the new season, 21-22, please remember your stadium announcer has missed you the most. Thank you. Thank you.